So a, a strength conditioning coach is, is like personal trainer, but in elite sport. Um, and the only difference is obviously you get paid less. No, I'm joking. Let's restart. <laughs> I can't mind that. Welcome to the Backroom Staff Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backroom Staff Podcast. This episode, I am delighted to be joined by the Castleford Tigers strength and conditioning coach, Callum Christofferson. Callum, welcome. Hi, mate. You all right? Thanks for having me. Yeah, perfect. Great to have you. How, how are you doing? Yeah, doing really good, mate. Thank you. Really good. Just finishing off pre-season. We've got our first friendly this week. Obviously, it's it's been a really crazy time for everyone. Uh, myself, personally, it's been mental. Moving house, first child born, another child on the way. It's mental. But no, think, things uh, things are really good, mate. Thank you. And uh, thanks for inviting, inviting me on. Yeah, cheers. Um, about this, obviously, we're talking a few weeks down the line now of getting you on and getting you interviewed and but it's been mainly due to the reasons you've said you've had pre-season you've had your first child you're moving house and you've got another one on the way and I think yeah a lot of us the past year has been hectic for a lot of people and then you've made it fourfold in a sense yeah um yeah it'd probably been a lot better if I just bought a new tv at the start of lockdown <laughs> but, um no it, it's been it's been great just Ever since getting into to pro sport, whether it was at part-time level or, or full-time, your schedule doesn't change. If it's part-time, you've, you've got a job and commitments, obviously, that pay your way. And then, obviously, part-time, you know, your, your nights are spent coaching and, and programming and, and trying to develop or interning somewhere. So you've got a busy schedule. Flip that when you get the first professional job it is it is your life. So having a time to, to actually step back. And, I mean, we... At Castleford, we just, we just, what was it, round five, we just pumped St. Helens at home. Like for anyone who doesn't know rugby league, Saints are, you know, top of the pile yeah, quality. They've been unreal quality. for the past two or three years. Yeah, they have just, since, you know, since Cunningham kind of left and, and Holbrook Crate came in, they just became a, a different team, just so, so aggressive and, and top quality, top quality, a hard team to beat and, and probably a, a good rival for Cass over the last, you know, three years. So we got a really good win over them and it was kind of, we we built our pre-season up or the back end of that pre-season for that one game. So to get that result was good and then all of a sudden, quickly fingers, you know, nothing matters anymore, go home. And, and for me, that was spending, you know, the last... You know, part of my my partner's uh, maternity with her, which was just a time that I'd never get back. And then it's it's an old joke we have at work now. All the boys, you know, I remember when Gailey had his second daughter. He, he had her on the night with his with his partner, and he was in the next morning. I just couldn't get my head around it, and he just <laughs> said, "You've got to come to work." You know, and, and Shenny always reminds me that you know. I've, kind of got the best paternity leave I've ever had. I've, you know, I've <laughs> best part of eight months off uh, yeah. being a dad. And, you know, it's a time that I'm never going to get back. Uh, and I definitely didn't take it for granted. So I'm just really appreciative of that. Yeah, I think Dave said similar in the first episode about having time to spend with his little one as well. Um, yeah. But on to onto the work and onto the job role, why don't you give us that two to three minute pitch that we ask of everyone of the description for a strength and conditioning coach as a whole? 
Um, so a strength conditioning coach is pretty much a, a stress manager. We look to physically prepare athletes to get ready for their competition. Um, in individual sport, that might be uh, such as boxing. That might be you know two, three, four competitions per year, depending on the level. In in team sports such as rugby league, that is a, a, a large competition window. Um, so we usually get ten to twelve weeks to prepare these guys um, to be in the best physical shape that can be robust durable and and try and prevent injury through uh, methods of strength and power and speed training um and then we look to also maintain that without the competition window in an in, in aid to try and get good performances on a weekend yeah so within rugby league and casford like you said there it's it's a big window that you've got so what kind of preparation work goes into there and how much do you work with the head coach regarding players yeah, so we're quite lucky at Cass. We've got like a, a shared office, so we're we're all as you, as you might imagine. For some clubs, it, it's not like that. But we all kind of sit together. We all discuss everything, planning. We mainly debate. We we spend hours a day debating things, uh, whether it be team selection or whatnot. But the the planning comes down to having like a twelve week block. Um, as a whole, which you call your pre-season, and we split that down into into weeks of training. So that could be three blocks of four weeks, as an example. Um, and in them weeks, depending on on how we want to kind of periodize it, and I say periodize it, how we want to kind of plan the the training, we look at having like a, an early stage, which could be our off season, like a general prep, and we move that in. And as we progress through that, we get more specific to what we want to do. So a real general basis of that might be we might have a lot of running to start off with to to build the demands of of the sport players have to cover within a game anywhere from 4 to, to 10k depending on their position and they've got to do this while doing you know over 100 accelerations you know nearly 50 decelerations and change directions and, and have glimpses in there of, of hitting top speed um, so within them 12 weeks we look to implement a plan that is going to get them players improved but also durable enough to, to meet the demands of the sport throughout a long competition window and that's more um so that's kind of field based what we do for the field to help them get there so i, I touched on max speed or acceleration um they're they're things that are very stressful on the body they demand a lot of uh, force and a lot of speed that's where we might use the gym um as resistance training to try and build strength or power or speed or Im- improve a mobile uh, bio um motor ability I've absolutely crucified all that bit <laughs> so when so in the in the gym for example we might um, look at different methods of training with resistance training so we might look at uh, focusing a certain biomotor ability such as strength power or speed and we might have a, a pro call in there to try and uh, get an athlete to move better have better quality movements and then progress that on to building strength and then you look at transferring all of that work that you built up within the gym and on the field and transferring it into playing rugby and, and that's kind of how it how it works. So you mentioned there that each player can run a different amount of distance per game, something between four to ten kilometers, depending on the position that they play in. Is that something you can elaborate on? So if you look at the key or KPIs or the key performance indicators for different positions, you might have a middle um, being a, a loose forward or a, a front row in prop where their running demands are going to be lower in terms of total volume, but their the density of the work that they do, their accelerations, their speed, their contacts and collisions definitely um, is, is going to be really high. Um, in saying that, they need to be very fast over five to 10 metres, very powerful and also extremely strong. 
Um, on the other side of that, when you have a fullback, they need to cover a larger amount of distance and they also need to do that at a faster speed than, for example, a middle. Um, so for them, you, you'd look at um, increasing their high speed running as well as their accelerations and decelerations, but also looking at moving them you know, laterally and also in a, in a front and back. They, they cover so much ground. A, a big key performance indicator for a fullback might be power and speed, whereas this is a, an attribute that you might focus a little, a little differently on. So you can see there that there's a bit of individualization, sorry, for each each one of them positions. So we've discussed rugby league, but are you just fully tailored to rugby league, or is there other sort of stuff that you're interested in? Yeah, I, I like I like the whole culture of being within a, a team environment. You know, the, the cohesion between a, a group of forty guys, whether that be male or female, is is really special. Um, and in saying that, the the gym environment of having a gym with you know thirty odd people in there lifting really hard in small groups, it gets really intense. Um, especially when you're in like a, a good strength cycle, it, it gets yeah. really intense in there. And it's it's also as a strength conditioning coach, you are a, a bit of the glue for any kind of culture or environment players always tend to have a different relationship with you than they would with your head coach or rugby coach um, so it's probably a place where although the players are going to work really hard that they can actually relax um, and not feel too much pressure um, so it, it's a special place Will, would I work in individual sport yes but I, I, I'm absolutely hooked on um, you know the rugby side of things it's great moving forward into what I think is probably more of a difficult thing is when a player gets injured, mm-hmm. is it your responsibility and your role to kind of bring them back up to fitness without losing strength? How How is that managed? Yeah, so that now is part of my role. Um, so my role now has, has developed over the, the years I've been at CAS and now I'm, I'm into a position where if a player gets injured, they would then drop into my programming and I would deal with their strength or um, strength or power needs, for example, as well as their uh, conditioning aspect. It's a tough question to ask because you get different injuries. But let's say that um, an athlete has got a, a sprain in the ankle to keep it short, they would, you know, obviously potentially miss three to four weeks of training where they would drop in with me and add an individual program based around them and tailored around their injury. And we try to maintain or increase those key performance indicators that we might have for that player, as well as trying to push them back to fitness. Um, and that's got to incorporate their their strength work um, and also their rehab rehabilitation work. Um, and that will progress back into running coming with me for running to build up that fitness base before they can then safely return back to the training process. Um, so it's something that, that was, wasn't really there before at CAST. It, it was, but it wasn't. Usually the head of a strength conditioning would, would kind of take that role, but he's got a lot of jobs to kind of deal with. The head physio would also take that role and progress them up to the stage where they need to go to the conditioner. But like I said, like the conditioner's got a lot of jobs to do. Um, so for me, it was a case of stepping in there and giving that athlete, you know, the most individualised process they can have to try and return them to the training process. One of the questions I had, and you've essentially answered it there, was is what you do team-based and kind of group-based of wingers and forwards, or is it per player that everything's tailored or is it is the head of strength and conditioning looking at it from a team box and you're doing the individual stuff is that how the team dynamic works there it's, it's a bit different really um when i first came in for example i would deal with the younger players and as i progressed like this year my one of my main jobs is is the gym so if you we kind of split the the gym in half 
like I'll take a certain couple of groups of athletes and programs specifically for them because that program's going to tailor to their needs. Um, whereas, for example, I, I might work with someone who needs strength and power. If, if an athlete needs strength and hypertrophy, as we've highlighted within the preseason process, then, then the head of strength conditioning will take them. So it's, so it's a shared load throughout that process and, and it's just kind of helped us more. We want to try and individualise programming as much as possible. But when you've got two members of staff, a small gym and, you know, up to 40 guys to programme for, it can get really hard. So it's about trying to deliver the best programme you can as well as not cut the coaching out of it. So yeah. if, if if I if I try to ride, you know, three horses at once, I'm going to find it really hard. Um, I just yeah. can't coach it. Um, whereas, you know, athletes kind of, you need to be with the group and helping coaching through them and things can happen on a rotation. For example, might have a player doing one exercise and then he'll load, unload the bar and then the next athlete will go in and, and it's kind of quite quick pace, but you've, you know, you've got to try and coach that. So if I had, you know, two or three different programs running at different times, it, it becomes unmanageable. And although you're trying to do the best thing for that athlete, you're kind of taking it away because the coaching in, in there is diluted. Um, so so that, that's that's the main thing. Again, I, I try and keep things really, really simple and be really effective with the programming aspects of it. Like I say, these guys are elite rugby league players. They're not elite powerlifters. So, you know, you know, if, if the guy, if the team that had the strongest people in the gym uh, at the end of the year won the competition, Cass would have won a lot more competitions by now. <laughs> it's the best rugby team at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everything you do in the gym is secondary to what you do on the field. And it's a hard, it's a bit of pill to swallow for any strength conditioning coach, but it is the truth. So you've got to kind of take that in on board as well, that everything you do in the gym is there to complement what happens on the field. Um, and I mean, over the past three years, my programming has changed dramatically. And that's because I'm learning each year. Last year, I'm analysing what happened, why we're getting injuries. Well, part of my job is to prevent injuries. So I need to be changing what I'm doing. And rather than chasing a number, I'm trying to now chase keeping people on the field in the best possible condition they can be in. Was that difficult for you to kind of realise? Did it take a bit longer than you maybe would have preferred to have seen that you're not chasing a number now? You, you've got to real, you've realised that you've got to keep players on the pitch? Yeah, you, you haven't, you haven't. It, it's tough. It's tough. And I'm not saying because I want people to be benching the most they can do. But if you actually think about what we're trying to do with, for example, a squat or a bench press, is we want to provide a stimulus to the body. So whether an athlete can bench 80 kilograms or 180 kilograms, it's the stress and the load on the body, on the central nervous system and on the neuromuscular system that we're trying to get out there on the pitch. So that's why for me, for example, I might utilize uh, an isometric exercise where the barbell might not move at all, but what I am doing is producing maximum amounts of force and rate of force development into an immovable object. Now, the, the, the muscle components there and the, the muscle components are contracting are also the lower risk of injury, but what we're actually doing is, is, is showing the body how to develop greater amounts of force. And there's a couple of tricks I do there. I can use that in a contrast method where I pair it with something that's maybe explosive that has had good results. But that for me, and using, for example, isometrics, as I just explained there, that for me has provided better results. Uh, and off the back of it, you know, there's potential there for it to kind of reduce the risk of injury while getting performance better. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. The, a few things which I don't understand, but... As in, yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm uh, trying to make. I'm, I'm trying to understand your audience. I'm trying to make it not 
So one thing, one thing I found, yeah. one thing I found, that, like for example, is is we are a running based sport. Rugby league is a it's a running based sport. Everyone knows that, and you can also call it a contact sport because that's exactly what it is. But if you're looking at improving strength conditioning support for for running, it looks a little bit different to it, what it does a powerlifter. Now. What I mean by that is the the ground contacts and the stress that you put on the body through maximal sprinting and repeated effort, accelerations and decelerations and the mechanical load put on the body. There's also a lot of stress that goes not on, onto muscles, onto movements, but also onto tendons. Um, so we need to prepare the body to be able to adapt and, and kind of get used to that stress. And we need to kind of broaden our knowledge on on not just resistance training to do that, but there's also other ways we, we might utilize different method, methods than just general strength training to try and improve what we're trying to get on the pitch. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And earlier on, we mentioned how hectic the past year has been. So mm-hmm. it all came to an abrupt after that St. Helens game, yep. abrupt end. What, what was it like? How did you find your role change and how did you handle that kind of first lockdown and before you started coming, getting the players back ready to come back in when once the Super League started? And then again, how was it kind of you're managing these players for a week and then a game got postponed at the weekend due to positive COVID tests and then you have to play twice a week. How difficult and different was that as a challenge? Um, there was a couple of challenges and this is a bit of a long story, but when, if you, if you look at us, you look at cast last year, we went, do we go three or four from five? We were joint top of the league with Wigan. We just beat St. Helens, who was in form. When lockdown struck, we, we didn't know what was happening in terms in terms of uh, when we was back, when we wasn't. Uh, when we went into full lockdown, we knew that was it. And and from a club aspect, obviously, there's a lot of financial worry. Um, rugby league isn't a massive cash-flowing sport, unfortunately. So when the government announced the furlough scheme, that's something that would help us out massively. So we all went on furlough. Now, yep. ultimately, furlough means that you can't do your job. Um, so for me to provide you know programming for athletes in that period I, I wasn't able to do so and I know it seems a bit silly but there's a greater thing at stake there is if you got caught you know doing that and, and the furlough scheme got taken away from you then you've lost your job effectively and not just your job potentially a lot of other people's jobs yeah um, so it was a period where we, we couldn't really have a lot to do with the players training Look, we, we we have friends. We've we're all very close. We're all you know friends. It's a it's a family environment, Castleford, and we're all extremely close. So I, I kind of knew what the players were doing, but I, I couldn't do too much about it. Um, and yeah, I think just, I saw you all kind of just doing Strava runs and competing with each other on Instagram and yeah, like that. and that's you know, about as much as any of us could do, I guess. Yeah, well, you know. Every Thursday we'd have a coffee club and we'd always have a catch up and a laugh. Our group chat went insanely funny um, with people putting skits and videos in and and because that's the kind of group we are. We're very close and and you know we we know how hard it was and, and it was it was it was about keeping smiles on faces and still believing in something. Fast forward when we returned, so we I've just talked about having a twelve week training block and now we return and we're getting told that we're only allowed in twelve hours a week. Um, it, it was kind of part time looking at training load as such the time wasn't there to really prepare the players 
for what they had to go into. And, you know, it's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. It's, you've got everything that's coming about COVID and how safe you've got to be and that you've got us training small pods. The one thing we could have done was, was practice rugby. And when you've got two weeks to prepare for a game, fitness isn't really a top importance to actually the skill of performing technical and tactical rugby. So we, we had to put all our eggs in one basket, that being, that being the rugby side of it. So yeah, you know, I, look, I, I felt the, the boys were definitely prepared to to go into the back end of the season. Um, it, everything, everything given. Um, well, and when we came back in, sorry, um, it was it was pretty different. Small pods of training. Um, you kind of lose that gym environment that you wanted, but you know the, the boys rip in and, and work super hard. But you you haven't got a large amount of time to prepare pair these guys and you know some players had been about resistance training for the best part of six to eight months you know although they've been doing some form of training a two-week window in, in good enough to really prepare them for going into a game of rugby league against super league players um so it is what it is but we we, we managed to get through it can't even remember the original question but i guess on what you were saying there that two weeks to prepare it wasn't just you as castleford that had that issue it was all the other 10 teams because Toronto obviously dropped out and weren't allowed back in due yeah. to their finances. Um, but yeah, the next part of that question was how did you find as a strength and conditioner and your role when the, when the games got, when you'd maybe prepared expecting a game, so you'd done light work, but then that game was postponed due to, yeah, yeah. Tests and then so, you had double game weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it. It was really tough because you you've got everything that you've got to plan. So you you know you look at your schedule and you always work backwards from a game. So you've got a game day before that team run, day off training, off training, and 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 so on. And your gym kind of marries that. So all your strength work would be at the beginning of the week, and the next session would be you know on a seven day turnaround, predominantly speed work, and then you know you you'd leave that for for team run. If a couple of players like a bit of the priming session uh, or a bit of post-activation potentiation work that they're, they're used to doing so that'd be you know a quick 10 to 15 minute gym gym session um, and, and then you run through and play so if you think you've done that and then you get to the night before and, and the game's cancelled because of COVID you've then got to put training back in there and think of your next game if your next game's in four days then your loading was absolutely all over the place and it was something that was just really hard to manage um, and you had to go a lot of how the boys were feeling and you know if you gave them too much load one was to prepare for it and two they had to prepare for a competition so it was it was a really challenging phase and you just couldn't get any planning done everything was last minute you, you tried your best like I, I tried to be super organised uh, with everything I do and almost get to the stage of frustrated if if it's not organised so it was kind of a, a bad bad time for me but you, you've just got to go with it and and like I said with my programme I try to keep things simple anyway um, especially with, with the loading so it's just about making sure that what you were going to do we're going to compromise the next session um, for that week and if it changed you make it ad- adaptions uh, on the basis of that but no it was it was a really challenging period and there's periods in there where we, we just were not able to train yeah, I think yeah. we had two games it was like a, a double Easter weekend for us we had um, I think it was like a Thursday, Sunday, like, and then we played Thursday, and there was just there was just nothing in there. One of them we didn't even run through for the Sunday game, and then we had a run through play. And then if you also think on the back of that, you can't come in normally because of COVID. 
Yeah. So usually you'd have in for the next day recovery where you can't do recovery because you can't have swimming pools, ice baths, can't do any of that. The only thing, can you do a massage or can't you do a massage? I don't know if you could even do soft tissue work, but we'd usually have like a foam rolling session, social distance. We'd get the stretch bands out and try and keep the guys moving a little bit. Yeah. But that's only for your, your 17 players and then you've got 18th, 19th, 20th and 21st man. So if you've got them four players that are usually in and around it all the time but might not play, they are not getting any training stimulus whatsoever. And then you've got also the rest of your roster that hasn't played, can't play anywhere else and hasn't had any loading in them at all. So it was an extremely challenging time to try and get loading to uh, players to one, keep them fit, develop them te- technically and tactically, develop them physically um, and try and get them ready for a game. Incredibly tough. Yeah, I can I can imagine. But at the same time, I guess, fingers crossed and touch wood, never happens again. But if it does, you as a SNC coach will be more prepared yeah, definitely. The hardest thing going into it was the NRL changed the rules and then Super League changed the rules. Yeah. So we dropped, we had six again and, and all these rules got rid of scrums. And, you know, the, the hardest thing from all that, and if you look at all the data, the what they took away from that was the, the period of ball out of play. So there's a lot, the game wasn't much faster, but there's a lot more periods of ball in play. Yeah, so I think I we, saw that the averages went up to, from around 52 to maybe 62, another 10 minutes of ball in play. I believe it went to 68. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. But so, and if you think about it, you haven't had that time to prepare. The boys have had all this detraining de- phase or you don't know what they've been doing because I'm on furlough. You don't have a, a great understanding and you don't have your monitoring tools. You don't have your GPS. You are collecting RPEs. You're not looking at wellness. So you, you're not using any of these metrics and, and kind of, you know, for example, Paul McShane, if he was having a bad day, he'd just go out for a 12K run and yeah. on a road in trainers and we would we would never advise that for Paul whatsoever um, so you really don't know how prepared he is for that yeah. going into it luckily he won Man of Steel so we're going to touch wood and say <laughs> yeah absolutely pretty um, okay so how has pre-season been for you and prepping it during lockdown three how has that been different to that first one then or yeah a little bit different um so one we're all allowed in there's still a lot of really strict measures in place um you can't have meetings and we can't have dinner like as a as a group the gym and the timing is is not there so it's it's kind of coming pre-part or coming test pre-part um like in onto the field pre-ab on the field train on the field one group goes into the gym while the other group sat in the stands and then the next group goes into the gym and then go home and then all meetings are all anything else is done over zoom yeah um and and that's kind of a, a really hard like cultural change for us especially at cast like you don't like everyone will say that the facilities at cast are the worst in the league and and they'll say all this that and the other about castleford being terrible but it's not and one thing we've got that's always worked for us is our culture. It is a great place to be. I think those fun. facilities, in my opinion, is what has bred that culture of closeness and family, in a sense. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, the boys are really close. I think the coaching staff, uh, we, well, we are really close, but they just had a really good way of keeping these guys together and, you know, getting the best out of them and kind of, you know, like rinsing the towel and, and getting the last bit of 
kind of you could out of them and they've, they've just done such a good job um, since you know over the last eight years I just I just think the culture is is a, a big part of it and it doesn't matter who you are if you, you're coming in coming into Cass if you was a, a bad guy for example you know the culture just knock it out of you otherwise you wouldn't work there that, that's that it's just that's the way it is it's a, it's a great place to be but in saying that you take away all them things where well usually on a on a match day Paulie would have um, we do a team run we'd all have dinner together it'd be the same dinner every week and then everyone would get up to Costa up at near Asda in Castleford and the whole team would be in there and yeah. all the boys would be playing cards together coaches we'd have our weekly coaching meeting in Costa believe it or not talking about everything sense, yeah. we do yeah and it was just rammed and we're just in there for two hours drinking coffee chatting just being with each other and that is what we have done every single week up until going into lockdown and it's just little things like that and you take them things away from it and you're just left as a as a rugby team that's when it gets really tough and that's out of our control it's totally out of our control so that that's been a really hard hard thing for us as coaches obviously this pre-season but you know it's gone really well really well for us we've we've kind of hit the goals that we wanted to we set out you know over these last 12 weeks we've had some really good new additions to the team um, and they look really good. And yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to uh, this Sunday at Hull KR and, and just seeing seeing what we can get out there and, and giving the boys a good hit out. Yeah, and it, you know, for me as a, as a strength conditioning coach, it doesn't matter what kind of um, exercise or test you're putting the guys through, nothing compares to the game against opposition as well, where there's just no holds barred. And, you know, the, these guys are really getting into each other and just seeing where they are. So they'll be a really good tester. Yeah, definitely. And thanks for open up about the struggles that there was in your role and what the team went through there. But we've discussed that now. Let's more talk about you and what got you into strength and conditioning. Was it something you always wanted to do? Obviously, I met you at university and yep. you, you really took on strength and conditioning there from what I could tell. Yeah, it was... Um... It was it was a tough one because I, I, I never really wanted to go to university. Um, I, I just I, I was a kid at school that really just did not enjoy education. Um, I, I struggled in school. I didn't have the greatest upbringing in terms of pushing me into being like academic and smart. Like you know, I never got asked if I had homework. I was left to my own demises, and and that was that. Um, so. My, my school experiences weren't very good and I didn't get what I wanted out of my GCSEs. I got an opportunity to go to college for an interview onto a sports course, which my best friend, well, my best friend, Luke Pritchard, who you've had previously on the show, he said, right, come come with this with me. You knew I was upset. He said, come with this, come speak to the Jews and, and see see how you get on. So they, they kind of sat me down. They said what I did. I played rugby at an all right amateur level. You know, I was really enthusiastic about that. And um, I just got an opportunity there to, to go and do an assignment, go do some work, bring it. And if I got a good mark, then obviously I could stay on the course. And, and I got top marks on it and and, and kind of um, stayed on the course and progressed through there. Went to university, got introduced to strength conditioning and, and sport science. And it, it was just something that I just instantly fell in love with. Not just that, but I'd seen, I'd just started going to the gym myself, started on the journey of resistance training and, and really started enjoying it. Um, I don't know if you remember back then, I was, a, I was a really big guy. I'd always been well, a big guy. I, uh, so letting into a secret for the listeners here of Luke Pritchard of how well I didn't know him. I used to live with Luke and I think it was my first week as a fresher. And yep. that's when I met Luke by living with him. And I woke up one morning having, having not met him at this point, and you just gone to get some fresh air after a night out that you'd been on. 
I oh, knew yeah. with this, I was like, oh, this is this is a big guy. I don't want to be messing with this guy. I just saw him outside of a window and I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was a I was a big rugby union prop forward, wasn't I? And and you know, and that was from not knowing or not taking care of myself um, and I, I played rugby and it, when I was younger like under 15 16 it was quite serious when I got to Colts it wasn't that serious it was more about the socialization aspect of it and it wasn't about the playing and it changed when I went over to Hawks I went and, and started playing rugby league something that I've always watched something that I've always wanted to do um, and started university and then I, I obviously got introduced to um, strip conditioning and, and sports science and um, like I say it, it was just something that it, I, I've always I've always really struggled reading, writing, maths. It is something that I've, I've always struggled with. If I read a book, I've got to read it a couple of times, and, and that's a page. If I read a page, like I, I don't intake the information, and you know, there's loads of things I've had to do for that um, to get better so, at that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt in this one, but it's because it's fresh in my mind. And was it that once you found strength and condition in sports science, it kind of because there's a lot of maths involved in that. So yeah. was it? finding that because you liked sport helped you understand maths more and things like that oh yeah 100 percent. now i'm building you know excel spreadsheets and using our studio for statistics it's 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 incredible if, if i could tell younger me to be smarter in school like i would have done it because i probably got a bit more help with it but you know when i was in university i had to go back and do my gcse's I had to go back and do my GCSEs and maths in English and, and, and it was such a struggle. It was so hard and that was something I had to do on evenings. But again, and I found it incredibly difficult. These them they're things that just didn't come naturally to me. But the strip conditioning side of it did. The the training, the gym, the gym environment, the field conditioning. And the more I did it, the more results I saw in myself. And then I started to help coaching other people and started doing a bit of rugby coaching. And I just really got invested into it. And I knew that that is something that I wanted to do. Um, originally I went to university I wanted to be a teacher and I was sat there with Phil Marshall who was my tutor at the time and I just said I, I, I don't want to do that anymore um, I want to do I want to be a strength conditioning coach I just I believe I'm, I'm learning so much information I just don't think I'm going to use it as a teacher like and, yeah. and the coaching aspects that I fell in love with wasn't for the reasons of for example a PE teacher like was, was, I did a like an internship as a, as a teacher in my first year and I just didn't enjoy it and that was a yeah. really good school, but I just thought this isn't for me. So I endeavoured and, and I went down the strength conditioning route and it is something I absolutely loved. Um, it was my best grades in university. Dissertation was on it, um, which was, was really successful. And I really enjoyed the idea of, of researching and, and, and reading articles and, and just learning about the body and you know how to, to get different stresses out of the body and, and then recovery um, and it's something that I, I wanted to, to pro progress and but you know you know I got a first class degree I wanted to stay on and do a master's originally um, that opportunity didn't fall to me that you know my tutor at the time I, I don't think they thought it was the right step for me so I left university and went and worked in a in a builder's merchant because one thing or another I, I was at a time in my life where I needed to earn money I needed to put a roof yeah. over my head um, and, and it was that I had nothing else to fall back onto. So I went and got a normal job um, and I got an opportunity to go to Hulkingston Rovers and work under Paul Hatton and Rob Dawson in their academy uh, and Kev Deegan, sorry, who was a head coach at the time. And I, I, I just loved it. So I'd work yeah. 10 hours a day in the builders merchants and then three nights a week I'd go to Hull KR and learn, learn off Rob, learn off Kev and build some really good relationships there. And it's, it's something that I, I just really loved. I loved the club. Um, I was really grateful for the opportunity they gave me, but unfortunately it didn't work out there. 
the the merger happened between City of Hull yeah. and Hull FC, and and it didn't work. And while that was happening, uh, Paul Hatton had kind of left his position at the club as well, and, and went and worked for himself at his own gym. So so he kind of have left, and that that was a really big part of, part of it for me. Is I wanted to work under under Paul. I wanted to learn everything that he had yeah. to kind of offer. And six months later, Hull FC kind of t- took him in as head of performance. Um, so at this t- at this point, I was just working in a in a bills merchant, really eager to kind of get more experience and get coaching. Um, and I was doing my certification at the time on my dinner breaks in my, my break times, just reading textbooks and, and literature and, and doing practice exams and trying to get ready for that. When I went to FC. The position kind of opened up to, to he, he kind of brought me in to run the reserves on an evening for they had some part time players, yeah, um, and and that was great and that was like my kind of first time like really running the gym is just me being in there um, and I got to work with uh, Richard All there and, and Kirk Eamon and and it was awesome. There wasn't many reserves teams, so we kind of had the same teams to always play, but it, it was an opportunity for those younger younger fringe players to really get out there and, and play the game because it doesn't matter how well you're technically and tactically training if, if you're not playing you're not putting them skills to practice and yeah. we talk about you know transfer training and, and that's where ultimately performance is measured when you're playing so it, it was good though because there was a good you know flock of players um, that you know a lot of them are still playing now and, and I, I think the reserve system and, and it, it just worked it was really good and, and Halifax set one up they, they, they've got some really good rugby talent there um, in that part of Yorkshire so yeah we played them a lot you know it was the same team. I think we played Halifax maybe three or four times that yeah. year but yeah. it, it was always good it was always it was always great and you know it was. I was just forever grateful for that opportunity from from that I kind of got um, a new job I, I went down a teaching route I worked at a private school which is some an opportunity that again has is, is just shaped my coaching the whole time um, I was working with uh, really vulnerable kids and I had to kind of change you know, being the big scary guy of, of not using fear, but, you know, yeah. very direct with, as a strength conditioning coach, like obviously you're asking an athlete to do something, they do it. Like it's yeah. as simple as that. And you're asking a, a kid who's, who, you know, a vulnerable child who's coming, who's had a bad morning at home to kind of sit down and take the coat off and they don't want to and throw the bag at you. You've got to take a different approach. Yeah. Um, and, and some, you know, if you look at the relationship between, you know, that trust and respect of a coach and an athlete, it's about knowing which cards play at the same time. So players come in in bad moods and, you know, if, if there's players on the team that, that aren't getting selected, um, it can be a really dark place for an elite athlete who's, yeah. you know, who, who doesn't know what to do. And you've still got to kind of put them through a conditioning session or a strength training session. Um, so for me, it really helps me communicate how I could get an athlete to do my, or anyone to kind of do my bidding and I'll take a different approach with my communication and, and also put an arm around and nurture people rather than just be directing my coaching. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a really good experience for me. Yeah, I find With that the- interesting that you spoke about earlier the first year teaching placement that you did you didn't enjoy it but then this one it, you feel like that one that experience shaped you as a coach as you are now yeah you know what? I've never really thought of it like that <laughs> I've never really thought of it like that but it, it was different it was different and you know now I'm you know if I'm not getting what I wanted out of out of an exercise or if I can't get an athlete to do something properly or if we're not getting progressing strong enough or fit enough then is it is it me, you know, coaching poorly or the athlete might not understand what I'm trying to do? And and the coaching process is, is so much more about teaching and trying to educate 
you know, the athlete of, of what you're trying to achieve through doing this. And there's interventions put in place, for example, an example, I, I want to, you know, use a, a back squat exercise, but the, the athlete hasn't got the, the mobility coordination to kind of do that exercise properly. I might break it down for him, but I might also, that's where the teaching process comes in and the repetition of teaching to try and make sure that the athlete is loading correctly. Um, and and that would be the same for a rugby coach as well. You know, let's say that you've got a, a a player that's not very good defensively, you know, the tackle technique isn't very good. And then that role becomes more about the teaching process of, you know, trying to help that athlete break down what's happening uh, and the analysis that goes into, you know, breaking down what's happening and, and teaching, you know, what you've got to do to, to win that collision. So yeah, that it's, it's just the, the teaching aspect of it really helped me really helped me um, and also just the the type of the type of athletes now I've uh, I said it to him before um, I, I just don't think I would have lasted this long with a player like <laughs> if it wasn't for them experiences teaching <laughs> just wouldn't have been able to do it um, but you know luckily touch wood he's, he's come out the other side and he's, he's <laughs> hopefully got a long lasting career out the back of him he's, he's a great kid so yeah I, I interrupted you there but right. if we if we go if we go back to what you were saying. So after you went to that school, I believe that you got an opportunity with England universities with Richard Tate and Doncaster. That's right. So while, while I was at Hull, um, I was working at the school and then the, the school position um, wasn't there anymore. They made a lot of structural changes in the school and, and a lot in the department I was working in and it didn't work out there. Unfortunately, I absolutely loved that job. Um, and I got a position at Hull FC Foundation in the community coaching and it was a little bit different, but it was something that I definitely needed if I wanted to progress in a career in you know, in, in rugby league spe- uh, specifically, I, I knew I needed to get to the to the grassroots um, to help with the coaching and understand the game a little bit more and, and try and get people into there. And that's where I worked really closely. Um, it was Richard Squires that got me in there. Richard left. And then obviously I was working closely with, with people like, um, like Richard Tate. And, and me and Rich really got along. And yeah, when he got the England job, he, he said straight away, we've never had a strength conditioning coach on the programme. It's a voluntary programme. It's amateur level, obviously, university. Um, and he, he said, uh, from you know from talking and seeing how passionate you are, I think you're something that would be really useful while we're in these, these camps. And that was it. So I had a year at England. Um, we went to Pontypridd in, in South Wales and, and won the Four Nations there. And, you know... I was part of a really good group of, of coaching staff and managers there that brought out the best in, in that group of players. Um, it's not heavily funded, but, you know, we got put up at Nottingham, Nottingham Trent University for, not Nottingham Trent, I was at University of Nottingham. We went there for a camp. We was in, in a, you know, like a four-star hotel with all, all the best facilities. It was awesome. Yeah. It, it, felt, it felt like an international, an international yeah. team. Uh, and I put so much work into that, working alongside you know Dave Butler and Kev D and Richard Tate, and uh, we, we we just had a, such a success off that, and we're really close now. Um, off the back of that, Richard Orn then took me to Doncaster. Richard was um, he got the head job halfway through, obviously in the second year at Hull FC. Um, he got the head job at Doncaster. Um, which has been great for him. He's still there now. And he, he asked me to come on um, as a strength conditioning coach or head of strength conditioning for a championship rugby side. Um, and, and that was that, that all came off the back of England and working yeah. at Hull FC. Um, and, and it was brilliant. Really enjoyed my time there. Learned so much about the game and working with, you know, the older athletes and, you know, people that had 
played in Super League and told you about you know the stories of what it was like and, and debuting and just talking about rugby and it was absolutely great and and for me it was a, a different process because again you're trying to to get these players better but also trying to understand that these guys have been working in in you know yards all day bricklaying electricians plumbers you know the come the come to rugby training in their overalls and the mucky they've still got muck on the face um, and it, it was crazy so that that was a great time for me to understand how to kind of manage the stress I was giving them um, and, and help them develop and, and I had a great couple of years at Doncaster I really enjoyed it yeah so how was that as a strength and conditioning coach dealing with the players that were part-time and just coming back from work and how was that all managed? Because I always think kind of when we see the part-time teams play the Super League teams in the championship, it's like the week before, they might have played against tougher opposition, the Super League teams, but they will have had an actual recovery. They won't have been straight into work on Monday. So how, how was that different to what it is now for you? Yeah, the toughest part of it was your scheduling. So you couldn't say, if you worked on like a seven-day turnaround, you worked back from your game, you, you couldn't pick the days you was in. So we was always in uh, on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, run through, and then Saturday morning, I'll run through and play. And that that's because it's part-time. So for us, like that in-season, that Tuesday would always be um, after a game, Monday off, Tuesday would be in, there'd be a review with a gym split. That gym session would predominantly be more, you know, strength based, something that's really new, uh, muscularly taxing that you, you don't want to, you know, fatigue them before the game. Um, so we, we'd have all that work on that day. Um, there might be a light bit of skill and a lot of top up for players that didn't play. And then we would then head to Nuffield for a recovery session, get the guys in the pool, get them on the bikes, um, kind of flush the legs out. If there's any treatment they needed, they'd be with the rehabbers. Um, and, and that part of the process was, was still fine. Um, and then Obviously, your Thursday session is your last session before you get to play and it's kind of your run through. But because you, your run through is usually a 40 minute session, you know, six to eight sets, yeah. getting the boys comfortable with the structures leading into the game, working on a bit of game plan against the opposition. Um, so you still have your, your analysis process of your review. But then obviously your kind of training session would be a little bit longer. It wouldn't be too long, maybe an hour, but just to give the guys a little bit of training. And that might just be to stimulate them. So it could be anything from a conditioning game or a fun game of a touch to start them off with to really get the session up there. Uh, in terms of, of intensity and then obviously we then break it down and focus on the structure and how we want to play at the weekend before obviously meeting up on the Saturday and playing and and that's the biggest difference is um, obviously the skill levels are a little bit different but the, the physicality um, in the collision is exactly the same it's tough but then the fitness level and the speed of the game is a little bit down and, and like I say about the skill you probably find that the ball and play time is a, is a lot shorter in comparison to what a Super League game would be yeah. just because you know you, you can't really match the you know the physical outputs that these full-time teams are doing and you've only got to look at when you get a good challenge cut clash you know uh, was it Halifax against St Helens two years ago yeah. Halifax yeah, gave yeah. them a really good run for money but eventually they ran out of steam yeah and well they ran out of steam or they just wasn't good enough to beat St. Helens I don't know which one it was but it just looked like you know for the first you know 15 minutes especially there was physic physically was able to, to keep up with Saints but then on, on the back of it Saints ran away with it didn't they when they just couldn't I think cope it was 26-8 in the end wasn't it yeah so yeah which is a great result really you can you yeah, see some things considered get, yeah 
Yeah, uh, and that that's that was the biggest difference. So it was I hate the word microdosing because it's not true. But obviously, giving giving the guys obviously enough enough loading in the gym on the field so they got better, but not enough so they're too fatigued. And you really had to manage it. If you got a guy that had been, for example, played on the Sunday, you know, he was up at five o'clock on the Monday. And, yeah. you know, he'd been doing electrical work outside in the rain all day and he's come from work off for 12-hour shift, for example, to training. You probably know that you're not going to get a lot out of him. Yeah, I was I was going to ask, what did you see and how big of a physical difference maybe was there in those who got up at 5am did like a 12-hour electrical day yeah. job and those who maybe were desk jobs at all teachers and yeah. that sort of thing? There was loads. The, the, the boys came in. There was absolutely knackered. Like they, yeah. you, they're just you're not going to get anything out of them in terms of loading. It's just they're, they're just ticking boxes because they're physically, sorry, they're, they're physiologically and mentally not recovered from the game. So what we might have done there is change it up a little bit. And, and this is working close with the players. Is is instead of them doing the gym, they would relax. They do some review, see the, the physio staff and the rehabbers, they then then go to Nuffield and, and have a recovery session. The following day after work, they would then go to the gym and get some form of physical loading in there. Um, not enough to fatigue them for the session the following day, but just enough to give them the loading that they wanted. And that was quite common. The boys, you know, the boys go to the gym all the time. So you could you could quite happily work with, with that group of players anyway. You could quite happily work with them and liaise with them and, and get their sessions over to them to do the next day. And, and it's kind of... That you've got to be really agile in what you're trying to to give these guys. Obviously, you can't give them anything too close to the game because you're going to take away from that physical performance, but it's being selective on on allowing them to to really recover. Recovery is going to be the the biggest thing. So making sure that they're recovered first and then obviously the training comes after that, but you've always got that game at the back end of the weekend, so giving them too much. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting how kind of you had to handle the part-time players as well so then from Doncaster you you got the opportunity at Castleford and where you are now and we've discussed that so what does the future hold for you what's what's your goals in that sense I I, I don't really know I I don't really think about I don't really think about that too much a new house another new house yeah (laughs) yeah I'm not thinking about that at all but but for me it would be is to really be, be grateful of where I am understand how hard I've worked but you know if you think about it there's there's 14,000 graduates each year with an undergraduate sports science degree you can probably add another two to four thousand who graduate every year with a postgrad and there's only 12 super league clubs and there's potentially two positions full-time in each one of them clubs and I've got one yeah um you know so and and that by no means am I the greatest strength conditioning coach sports scientist out there but you know, for me, it took me six years to get a full-time job coming out of university. And every day I am learning something new. And and for me, I just want to be the best. And that's not to say that I'm arrogant, I've got an attitude or anything like that. No, I think I think more what, what you're saying is you want to learn everything you can about it. Everything. And yeah. sometimes it can be my biggest downfall, um, especially in my personal life. Like, I, I don't know when to stop. But, you know, I just I just want to learn. And, and the last three years specifically, I've just learned so much yeah. um, and picked up so much from being in that full-time environment. And, you know, when the time comes to, to run it myself and, and be a head of strength conditioning or a head of performance, which is probably the ultimate goal as a career, um, then that would be, you know, taking all the skills I've learned and kind of 
putting them into that model definitely definitely this year this year itself from last year has just been the biggest wake-up call going um, and the amount I've learned has just been been incredible so yeah in saying that I've got a family now so if I don't get my contract renewed at Cass and I'm working at Aldi that'll just have to do for me I think I'm happy yeah um, but I think your passion to be the best you can be as a strength and conditioning coach comes across really well and that's obviously important for your job and I think anyone in their role should be aiming to do that so I don't think it comes across as arrogant at all no you just you, you speak to any sports scientist or strength and conditioning coach and sometimes I feel like they don't know how to relax and the car they're such serious people and one thing I've learned from working at Cass is, is don't be too serious because yeah. for you with these guys all the time like they look forward to seeing you in the morning you know they look forward to saying bye bye to you you know the first thing they do when they come and see you is greet you with a coffee and a handshake like then for me it's about Obviously, it's been great to relax in my role and really, really understand that it helps you to communicate what you need. It helps build the trust with the players. You know, it, it helps you win games. It helps you win competitions. And it, it makes sure that every every day, you know, you come in that you're enjoying it. And that's that's the main thing. You need to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That's been fantastic, Callum. Found it really interesting, the differences of and how you got there and how you've gone through the part-time route of working there and then got to this role, which as you've spoken about it, it's like your dream role now. And that's where you are and where you were from when you're in school. And then found it really interesting how you structure a player's week within strength and conditioning. But we've got three more questions, which is what everyone really wants to know. So what's your go-to cheat meal? Usually it is a pizza. I love a pizza. Um, but, of recent, there is a new Greek restaurant that's kind of opened up near like the area I live in, and that is kind of my go-to at the minute. A, a, good a really nice good, good Greek. Rules. Yeah, so they do like a mixed grill platter box where you get like a lamb lamb cutlet. You get like a like a lamb like like shish kebab. Is it? Yeah. You get a chicken like skewer kebab. Is it tzatziki? Like tzatziki, yeah, tzatziki, yeah. With like freshly made, like um, they're not nan breads, are they? What breads are they? Pit the breads. breads. The flat yeah. breads, are they? I think you, you get like a massive tray of like fresh pork gyrosh, and then you get chips with all like the feta cheese on it and the seasoning, yeah. oh, um, and, and chip spice. I don't know. Oh, if it comes with chip spice. Chip spice. Oh. So I don't know if I'll. I don't know where this spreads to. This podcast. I don't know how far chip spice goes. To I don't know how far chip spice kind of goes to, mate. But chip spice is uh, it's got to be on every cheat meal. Fair enough. And um, you mentioned pizzas. What's your favourite pizza topping? So, what was your previous? I guess what was your previous favourite cheat meal? Then I really like um, if it was um, if it was a Domino's, a ranch barbecue. If it was a normal pizza place. It'd have to be a Donner pizza. A Donner pizza? Donner pizza. And finally, Marmite, love it or hate it? Love it. Love it. There we go. That's 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 another one on the love it scale. Yeah, I, I had uh, the Marmite peanut butter. I want a fan of that. I've never heard of that one. Isn't there a spicy Marmite out now as well? No, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure I, I've I seen also, something about I like, it. I like Vegemite as well. Vegemite. Vegemite, yeah. That's, Very that's the good. vegan one, right? No, I don't know. Is it, is it, it probably is vegan. It's like a, an extract spread, in it? It's Australian. Ah, uh, yes, that's the one, yeah. 
Yeah, it's the it's the Australian version of Marmite, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's everything, Cal. So again, thank you for coming on tonight and taking your time out. And again, thank you for being really enthusiastic when I reached out to you. And thanks for letting us know more about what strength and conditioning is. No, uh, thank you, thank you for the opportunity. It's um, for me, for me, stuff like this is, is something that I'm, I'm really trying to use to to, to develop another skill of communication and, and put yourself out there a bit more. Um, so I, I think it's a really clear way of, of educating people. You're picking things up. We listen to different podcasts, um, and I, you know, I congratulate and take my hat off here for for doing it. I, I think it's a a really a really good hobby or passion to kind of endeavour. And I hope it's something that gives you a career, you know, you build a career in doing stuff like this because I think there's more people out there that, that need to be doing this like yourself. So uh, congrats again, mate. Um, I think you're doing a, a really good job and, and it's an absolute privilege to be on. Yeah. Thank, thank you for all those words as well. Yeah. And that's episode eight. A uh, big thank you there to Callum for giving up his time to discuss his role at Castleford Tigers. It was really good to hear about what it is he does and what his role entails, along with, of course, what he enjoys about it. I think it came across as well how much he loves what he does and his journey to get to where he is now has not been without its challenges, but he's come out on top through determination and application of his passion for strength and conditioning and I admire him greatly for that. I really found it interesting how he handled his role in the return to play and the continuation of Super League in 2020 amongst the Covid pandemic and the challenges he and probably every other SNC coach in the league faced. And I think that's a good place to leave it. So yeah, I'd like to thank you for listening. And this has been the Backroom Staff Podcast, and I hope to see you next time. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast on your chosen podcast player, or you can keep up to date with the latest podcast releases by following the Backroom Staff Podcast on Twitter and Instagram using the following handle, BKRM Staff.